Good morning. How are you all doing? I am uh, I'm Ryan Rust, and I serve as the, the, the student pastor here at, at FBC. And today, I get to continue our series. Um, we're calling Habits of Grace. Um, and today, we're going to focus on the, the discipline, the habit of corporate worship or or worship that we're doing right now, worship that we're doing in community with each other. And I think one of the things I enjoy most about this series is that um, we're, we're gaining insight, we're gaining um, reasons of why we do what we do as Christians. Um, so if you've been, like, if you're like me, or if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, um, I think it's easy to forget that there, there, there are reasons, like really, really good reasons, biblical, like life-changing reasons to, to pray, to read our Bibles, to, to fast, to, to fight for silence and solitude, and even to come here to gather and worship. And I think when we forget these reasons, we tend to just, we tend to just go through the motions and and our faith kind of falters. So I'm very thankful for this series that it's kind of reorienting our hearts and our actions and our affections on, on Jesus. And it's my hope that by the end of this sermon, by the end of this message, you'll be reminded of the, of the beauty and the power found in a corporate worship service. And I pray that we will be a people, that we will be a people passionate about coming to church on Sunday. So if you're a note taker, I don't think there's any notes, but, but my outline is super simple. We're just going to ask three questions um, and then look for the Bible for answers. And that's, what is worship? More specifically, what is, what is corporate worship? And then, how do we worship properly? Or, or how do we worship in a way that is God-glorifying? And then the last question is, why should we why should we gather weekly, week after week after week, and worship together? So I'm just going to pray, and then we'll jump right in. Pray with me. Father, you are good. And I thank you that, that you, have, you have brought each and every single one of us here into this room. We are not here by coincidence, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to us, that you would speak to us through your word, through my lips. Father, you are gracious, and I ask that you would be gracious to us today and show up and reveal yourself, manifest yourself to us through my words. Father, give me confidence, give me uh, clarity, give me concision of speech and let my, let my words and my thoughts be, be pleasing to you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the, the first question, what is worship? Or what is corporate worship? And I think most of us, immediately, when we think of, or at least I do, when we, when we think of, or we hear the word worship, we immediately think of, Music, yeah, singing. Singing, music, and, and that's kind of what the, the contemporary, the modern church has um, adopted as the primary meaning of the word worship. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I mean, we have worship leaders, we, we have a worship band, 
um, we listen to worship music, but, but there is one issue, I think, with this kind of thinking, and it's that music, music and singing, singing praises to God, is only part of what the Bible calls worship. So this morning, to gain a more complete understanding, to gain a more uh, comprehensive understanding of what worship is, we're going to turn to the book of Revelation. And in this text we're going to study, we get a glimpse into the throne room of God. That's where the, that's where the presence of God is. And we get a first-hand account of, of what biblical worship looks like. So if you turn with me, we're going to be in Revelation 4. I think it's going to be up on the screen. Sweet. And we're going to be in verses 8 through 11. The Lord speaks to us this way. It says, Day and night, the creatures never stop saying, Holy, 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 Lord God the Almighty, who, who was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fall down before the one seated on the throne and they worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy. You're worthy to receive glory and honor. And power, because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So, I want us to notice, uh, or we can observe some things about worship here. First, uh, we see these these creatures and elders, right? They they ascribe, and that's a key word. They ascribe to God worth. So in other words, they're, they're attributing to or they're assigning to God his, his proper worth, his proper, his proper value, and, the, and they're praising him, right? So notice how the elders, they call God worthy. In verse 11, the elders say, you are worthy of all your glory and honor and power. Why? It says, because you, right, that's God, have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So they're, they're, focusing, they're focusing on an attribute of God, right? his all-powerful, his omnipotence, his, his, his all-powerfulness, and they're responding to it, right? So that is, in essence, what worship is at the most fundamental level Donald Whitney defines worship based on this text as focusing on and responding to God. It's very simple. It's a great definition. Focusing on and responding to God. And that is exactly what's happening here in Revelation 4, right? But in Revelation, right, the creatures, the elders, they're, they're worshiping in the presence of God, right? They're, they're in the throne room of God. So you might say, well, yeah, obviously, like, I would, I would worship God too if I was in his presence. Um, I would fall down on my face if I was in the presence of God. And we don't really experience anything like that here on earth. So that, that, I think that's a valid concern to have. I think a valid question um, is that 
how do we experience God revealing himself to us today as, as New Testament born-again Christians on earth? And I think God reveals himself primarily, God reveals himself primarily through his word, through the Bible. And this is where corporate worship or, or our collective worship together, this is where um, that comes in, right? Because if, if the manifestation of God to the world is primarily through his word, then our worship, both private and, and corporate, must be centered on the word of God. So scripture then, scripture then becomes our, our guide on how we are to worship together. Scripture tells us what we worship when we gather together. So we could define corporate worship as, this is kind of wordy, but it needs to be. It's the, the congregation's collective focusing on and responding to God through the forms and elements commanded and exampled in Scripture. That's the congregation's collective focusing on and responding to God through the forms and elements commanded and exampled in Scripture. So the New Testament gives pretty clear commands and examples of what a corporate worship service, what we're doing right now, should include. And I don't have time to go into details on all of these. I think I have a list of five we find in Scripture. But these are five forms, five elements of worship we see in Scripture. And they are how we as the body of Christ, we as Christians, focus on together. This is how we collectively focus on and how we, how we respond to God together. So first is the public reading of Scripture. And note, I want you all to notice how many of these are focused on, on His Word, on, on the Scriptures, or commanded in the Scriptures. Second, sitting under the preaching and teaching from God's Word. It's what we're doing right now. Third is what we just did, which we're so blessed to have Jacob Praising God and, and biblically saturated truth and, and biblically true songs. And the fourth example we see is, is the, the body of Christ prays together. We see this in Acts 2.42. The early church, they, they pray together. And finally, we, we share in these two elements commanded in Scripture, the, the, the Lord's Supper and the celebration of baptism, which are two symbols, two symbols that remind us, help us reorient our hearts on, on the truths of the gospel, right? That, that we were sinners, dead in our sin, that we have been saved and redeemed. And, and, and in the case of baptism, that we've been born again into to the newness of life. So this is what the New Testament, this is what the New Testament considers corporate worship or what the local church, us, is expected to do when we gather together. And all of these practices, all of these practices, they help us focus on who God is, they help us focus on what, what Christ has done for us, and then it prompts us, it prompts us to respond, not just with our actions, but, but also it, it informs our, our thoughts, the way we think, it informs our, our hearts, it informs our emotions, through the truth of God's word. So the second question then, 
how do we worship properly? If that is what corporate worship is, how do we do that in a way that's glorifying to our King? But before we answer this question, I think it's extremely important to answer another question, given our our current culture, and that's why should we care to worship God properly in the first place? Why should we care about worshiping God the way he wants to be worshipped? I think it's popular today, even inside the church, to believe that since God is loving, since God is love, which is true, that, that he's then tolerant of anything we do, and God wouldn't, we have this belief that God wouldn't want to impose rules or commands on how we come together and worship as the local church. So the assumption is we we are free, basically, to do what we please as uh, New Testament Christians. And a lot of churches function this way. And I just want to warn us, this is incredibly tempting to believe. But it is entirely, entirely untrue. It is extremely, extremely dangerous. God cares so deeply about how his people worship him. Just examine the scriptures with me just real quick. I mean, in Exodus, in Exodus, God gives the Ten Commandments, right? And in the second commandment, God prohibits his people from idol worship or from, from worshiping him using images or idols. And, and we see in Exodus 32, the people violated this commandment, right? They made a, a golden calf, Right? A, a representation of their, of their God. The Israelites worshipped God. Get this. This is important. The Israelites worshipped God in a way that God did not allow. And God sent a plague, right? S- sent a plague to punish his own people, his own children. Or think of Leviticus. I mean, much of... I mean, I'm not a scholar, but much of, if not all, of Leviticus are instructions on how God's people are to worship him. So in Leviticus 10, we see God strike two men dead for for offering up fire to God that God did not authorize. They weren't murderers. They weren't adulterers. What did they do? They, they, They worshiped God, right? They offered up something to God that he prohibited, and it led to their just death. And it isn't just an Old Testament thing, right? I mean, we just read 1 Corinthians 11. Um, and later in that passage, Paul tells us that God had made some in the Corinthian church sick or, or fall asleep, which is, which is death for the Christian, early. Why? Because they, they were conducting the Lord's Supper in, in an improper way, in a way that was not glorifying to God. So listen. We are not free to worship God however we desire. God cares deeply, deeply about what we do every Sunday morning. He cares deeply how we worship Him. So then we can get to the second question, how do we worship Him properly? And this leads us to perhaps the, the, the most important passage in the Bible on worship, and turn with me, it's in John, John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And to provide some context, this text is found in the middle of Jesus' encounter with, with the Samaritan woman. 
And remember, Samaritans in Jesus' day, they were, they were hated by the Jews for their, for their ethnicity. Um, they weren't allowed to worship with the Jews. And so this, this woman, she questions Jesus. She says that the Jews say that God can only be worshipped in Jerusalem. Right? That God can only be worshipped in the temple. That's what the Jews say. The Jews say, I can't worship as a Samaritan. And Jesus responds with this profound response. Well, obviously, he's Jesus. But, but it, it not only answers his, his, her question, but it informs us today on how we can practice worship that is glorifying to God. So I'm going to read from John. And our Lord says, But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus responds to the the Samaritan's woman, valid question, right? Saying, true worshipers of God will worship me We'll worship God, I mean, in spirit and truth. And one very, very important implication of his statement is that if there are true worshipers, then there are also false worshipers. And this is an extremely sobering, sobering truth that there is a way to appear to be worshiping God, even to yourself, when in actuality, in reality, you are not. So what does Jesus mean? God wants people who worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, remember the context. Jesus is saying that there will no longer be need for a temple or a physical place like like the Old Testament Jews needed. Because Why? Because God is spirit. So, So true worship happens only through and by the Holy Spirit, which is God living inside of us. So it is impossible, it is impossible to truly worship God without the Holy Spirit. But what does it practically look like? What does it practically look like to worship in the Spirit? And this is a point of debate among believers. I mean, if you, if you grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic background, Brother Jacob... Uh, You're going to view this one way, right? If you didn't, you're going to view it another way. But what I think it must mean is that to worship God in spirit is that there is a level, that there is a a level of authenticity, of sincerity in our worship that leads to a heart response. And, and And that heart response that the spirit leads us to primarily comes through an emotional and passionate reaction. It informs our emotion. It informs our passions. It informs things that are not in our brain, right? And listen, this, this, this has challenged me all week. Because um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I don't like to express emotion. I kind of like to be even kill. Right, Josh? Okay, Josh knows. I like to be reserved. I like to pride myself on my chillness, which is just to be... I don't like to get too high or too low. Um, I don't want to show people, right? But deeper, I don't want to show people how I feel. It makes me uncomfortable. Um, 
But I'm convinced. I am convinced. One of the greatest lies the enemy has deceived me with, with, with American Christians, with specifically men, so men listen to me, is that an emotional response to God is somehow a sign of weakness. Or some, somehow a sign of, of femininity. Look, if, if, if you study the scriptures, when men encounter God, when they have an actual encounter with God and who God is, the most common response of worship is, involves their emotions. Men, men weep. Men, men fall on the ground and put their face in the dirt before God. Men dance. Men sing. Men shout with joy. And this, this has to be our model for, for what biblical manhood is. Not, not whatever, the, whatever the culture is saying a man should be. And again, I'm preaching to myself. This is what, what God was speaking to me this week, studying these. Jesus also says, right, that we must worship God not only in spirit, right, but also in truth. And this is a little easier for me to grasp. Um, I think it, it, it means, fundamentally, that our worship, our worship of God, must be rooted, it must find its foundation in the Word of God. And it also has to be rooted in, in, in Jesus, who is the truth. And it's who the Word of God reveals. So when we corporately worship God, Remember, that just means our, our singing, our praying, our, our, our preaching. Everything we do in this gathering on Sunday mornings has to proclaim who God is as he is revealed in Scripture. It has to proclaim who Jesus is as he is revealed in the Bible. And again, this means very practically, we can't worship a God of our own making. That is idol worship. We can't worship the things we like about God and then, and then shove under the rug everything that makes us uncomfortable. We can't, we can't shove under the rug everything we think people will, will be embarrassed by that's in the Bible. That is false worship. It's an incomplete form of worship. Our God has no desire for it. So I think we typically, typically most people, we fall into either one of these two camps. Like we either lean more towards a, a spirit-led, emotionally heavy, feelings-based type of worship or, or a, a doctrinally true, kind of ritualistic, um, confesses the, the creeds but, but is devoid of any emotions. In both of these, we got to get this, both of these are incomplete. Of, of the true worship that God is seeking from his children. So you need to identify, we all do, where, where your tendency lies. Are you like me? Like when you, where you, you lean towards a more head-based, knowledge-based worship that emphasizes truth of God so much that, that you're devoid of any emotion, that you're devoid of any passion? Or, or are you on fire for Jesus? Your, your emotions are attuned with God. You're, you're passionate about Jesus. You have a heart abandoned for God, but you struggle to proclaim the truths that are revealed in the Bible. Because both of these, spirit without truth, head without heart, 
is, is worship our God, right, according to John 4, doesn't desire. He wants both. He wants everything, every part of us, our minds, our intellect, our heart, our passions, our emotions. He wants every part of us. And get this, that is exactly what he deserves as Lord of all. You can't wall off certain portions of yourself to God and truly worship God in any meaningful way. So let's, let's be a people who, whose worship is, is steeped in both these things, in spirit, in your heart, in your emotions, in your passions, and in truth, in your, in your head, in your intellect, right? God deserves all of it. God deserves every single part of us. And that is actually what he desires for us and from us. So last question. Why? Why should we gather weekly to corporate worship? And I think I could just answer this by saying because the Bible says so um, and be done. But then I was thinking like Jason could have done that for every sermon and we wouldn't have a series. But I think, I mean, there's a lot of benefits of corporate worship in Scripture. I only have time to focus on one, but, but I mean, it brings together you, people from different backgrounds together, doing what we just did and partaking in the Lord's Supper. When that happens, God gets so much glory. Right? That is a benefit that can only happen in a church service, in our corporate worship. But the, the one benefit I want, I want to speak about, um, and I think it's what makes corporate worship unique among the habits that we've talked about, because it's not about us individually. It's, it's about the entire body collectively when we come here. Um, I think I have a... It's corporate worship uniquely edifies and encourages us. Or, or another way to say this is uh, corporate worship... Um, uniquely uh, builds us up, and then it fills us up. So David Mathis says, um, corporate worship is the most important habit for our Christian growth. And that's because when we come here, and when we gather together to focus on God, and to focus on on Jesus' glorious saving work, and his death on the cross, it is exactly, listen to this, this is exactly what each of us need. We are sinners. We, we sin every week, we sin every day. And every single Christian, no matter where you are, no matter where you are in your walk, you need to be reminded weekly of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Because no one, no one graduates from corporate worship. No one graduates from coming to church. You don't get to a certain point in your Christian life where you're like, I don't think I need church anymore. That's just not how God has designed our walk, our our sanctification, our, our growing to be more like Christ. We need to be reminded, every single one of us, that God approves us. God is delighted in us, and God loves us as his own children, not because of our performance, not because of of how much we we killed the other disciplines, or how much we prayed, or how much we read our Bible, or how many quiet times we've had, but solely because we put our trust in Jesus. 
And we, we trusted in Jesus' saving substitutionary death on the cross. We need to be reminded that if we are in Christ, no matter, no matter how bad our week was, no matter how, how bad we messed up, that God loves us deeply as his children. And, and the place God has designed for this to happen is here. Through our corporate worship together, through our, our worship services in the local church. Corporate worship is, is a necessary means by which God uses to grow and preserve his children until they arrive in glory. So I think some of you this week, actually I know some of you this week feel completely distant from God. You've, you've committed sins you've never imagined that you would commit again. You've fallen in temptation. And some of you this week have never felt closer to God. You've been diligently in the word and prayer and feeling that love and proclaiming it to your lost friends. And some of you, probably most of us this week, right, if you're honest, you're just somewhere in the middle. You're neither hot nor cold. You're just a little lukewarm. But no matter where you are on that spectrum, we all, every single one of us, need to be reminded that God looks at each one of us in Christ the exact same. God sees his child. God, God sees us as redeemed. He's, he calls us beloved. He, he calls us conquerors. We're heirs to his kingdom. And that, those truths that we get to hear week after week after week after week, year after year, are what builds us and they fill us up every week. Week after week. And we need it. We are not strong enough to do this by ourselves. And we need this worship service. You see, corporate worship is the antidote to both pride and shame. Something the devil's going to tempt you with eventually. You are, he's going to tempt you with pride that you, are, that you are doing this Christian life well because of your own actions. He's going to tempt you with shame that you are not worthy to walk in these doors because of your sin. But listen, Christian, if you did good this week, you have to remember, it was not because of you or your strength. It was God's gracious good work in you. And that should, that should make you praise him. And Christian, if you did bad this week, remember, the word of God says God's mercies are new every morning and God has removed your sin in Christ from as far as the east is from the west through the cross. And that is what corporate worship reminds us of every week. Our status as adopted children of God before our king. And, and that is exactly what we need. I've got three quick points of application will be done. And the first is commit to come to our corporate worship service. And good news is you are all here, so you can cross this one off. Good job. Um, but this is why corporate worship is a discipline. 
or, or a habit because we have to commit to do it. It is not natural to get up on your day off to come sit in semi-uncomfortable pews. Right? That takes a commitment. That takes a, a, a commitment. And the first step to authentic worship is getting out of bed, getting your clothes on, getting your kids ready on time and coming through the doors, sitting in these beautiful pews and, and, and worshiping, right? That is the first step to authentic worship. So commit to do it. Commit to do it every week. I think this could be the easiest habit we can do. Maybe the hardest, depending on your kids. Um, second, prepare for our corporate worship services. Prepare your hearts. So I think many of you might be, like, you've, you've been faithful to come here. Um, but you may be in a season where, where your spirit feels dry. Has anyone been there? Yes? Yeah. And maybe you don't move emotionally. Your passions don't move in the worship service like you want them to. You, you might just want it to be over. You just want to go to lunch. You just want to go watch the game. And one of the greatest ways to combat this, this attack from the... And by the way, this is an attack from the devil when you feel this way. The devil does not want you to enjoy Sunday mornings. He would, he would really hate for all of us to be joyous here on Sunday. But one of the greatest ways to attack this attack is to prepare throughout the week for the service. So make it part of your personal habits. You can pray daily for, for our pastor's sermon. Um, pray that it would bear fruit. Um, you, could, you can pray in your quiet time, right, that, that the Spirit would fall afresh in our services. You can pray for, for the lost that come through these doors. There's nothing that that, that excites a congregation more than revival. And all of us want to see a revival, amen? So pray for it. I mean, we can, you can study the book of the Bible uh, we're going through in that current season, or, or just, we have to be a people that commit to pray for our church and pray for our services. And finally, participate in our corporate worship services. So remember what we learned in John. It's not enough to just come here and sit in the pews, although that's a great start. Um, we're responsible, right, to worship God with everything, with our, with our spirit, with our hearts, with our minds and spirit and in truth. It does nothing for you spiritually to come here and not have a response that comes from the heart, that not, the, that, to not have a response that is spirit-led. So practically, sing, participate in the singing. Sing loudly. Like, it is not inauthentic to, to sing even if your heart doesn't feel that way. Because whether you feel it or not, it's still the greatest news in the world. It is still the gospel. So you can sing loudly to inform how your heart should feel. And we're blessed, right? We get to sing great songs across generations of the songwriters and contemporary music and just participate in the singing, whether you like the song or not, right? You're proclaiming the same glorious truth, and it is good, so you should sing loudly. Participate in the praying and the invitations. Really, like, Pastor Jason, he doesn't come up here and, like, perform for us. He is leading us to, to grow closer to God in these invitations. Do what he says, 
And I'm preaching to myself here. Because I, I sometimes just go through the motions. But I want to be a person that does the prayer, that, that, that gets involved in the worship service. Listen to the sermon. Y'all are all doing great. No one's asleep. Maybe. Stay awake. Listen to the sermon. Participate in the sermon. Take notes. Um, engage with the sermon. And, and after church, talk about the sermon at lunch. Talk about what you learned. Talk about what God is speaking to you. Because, listen, I want to be a person. And I want us to be a people that are active participants in our worship services. I want us not to just view corporate worship, not as a, not as a duty, not as this, this, this set of rituals that we have to do, but as a weekly heart reminder of how great our God is and how great the gospel is and how great Jesus' love for, for his brothers and sisters are, that, that our lives would be changed by what happens here on Sundays. Pray with me that that would happen, that we would look forward to our weekly worship service so that, so that no matter what season you're in, no matter if you're, you're happy, joyous, sad, suffering, anywhere in the middle, that, that Sunday you can mark off as something you're looking forward to because you get to encounter God, the living God, and get to experience Christ's love for you. I want it to be the highlight of my week. I want it to be the highlight of our weeks. And God, I pray that that he would let it be so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that we get to come and worship you. That we, that we are allowed to come before your throne freely and worship holy, holy, holy. And you are pleased by it. Father, I pray that that any truth that was spoken here, that you would plant it in our hearts and, and, and let it bear fruit. And I pray that we would be a people marked by our passion for our worship services. That we would not be living in fear of what others think about us, but that we would live hearts and heads abandoned for you and you alone. I pray all this in in Jesus' perfect name. Amen.